Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly Podcast. Uh, this is Steve. Uh, we're here with Brett, and we're bringing to you today the beginning of our end-of-season recaps. It was an exciting uh, season this past year for the conference as a whole. Um, a little bit of a disappointing uh, end as far as the NCAA tournament went, but uh, what we want to do for you here with these next couple of podcasts that we're going to put out is go through each team one by one and just do kind of a an end of season recap, looking at the season that was. Um, we won't necessarily, you know, look forward um, as far as there's, you know, still a lot going on as far as transfer portal and, and you know, will uh, draft declarees actually go to the draft or not um so a a lot still to be decided there but what we're going to do for you here is spend a few minutes talking about each of each team individually and and sort of reflect back on the season that was um, as far as the major headlines and where the program sits as we kind of sit here uh in april with the season having just finished um, as far as the mechanics of how this recap is going to work, we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up um, as far as the regular season conference standings. Um, and so uh, we'll 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 try to do this as 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 quickly as possible with um, you know with all the teams that are there, but uh, we'll um, likely be producing at least two podcasts to um, to to kind of break this up here. Um, Brett, how are you feeling about the state of the conference before we dive in? Yeah, I th- that's 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 a good question. I think, and like I like I said in the last podcast, any it, it, it's hard to win a national championship. It's hard to get to a final four. It's hard to get to an elite eight. I think, you know, the fact that that with so much talent, there were no elite eight teams uh, in the Big Ten is disappointing, but. I think overall, we, I mean, we saw a lot of really good basketball and in, in a conference where that's difficult and often the style of play isn't necessarily conducive to tournament success. I don't think you can say this season is a, is a failure from a conference standpoint. I think we saw a lot of teams for the most part, I'd say more teams were better than we thought than worse than we thought. You know, you had, you had surprising teams, you had Iowa, you had Wisconsin, um, even, you know, some of the bottom teams like, like Minnesota started the season really well. And we'll get to them in a second. Um, and I'd, I'd say there weren't too many outright disappointments um, relatively. So I think I, I think it was a good season. I mean, obviously you would have liked to see more tournament success, but um, nine teams in the tournament. Um, and I, th- I think you're, 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 still, you're making a claim that it's still one of the be- one of the premier, probably the second best, at least for this year, turn, uh, conference in the in the country. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all that, and and we're going to get into some of the specifics of that shortly here. Um, so without further ado, we'll get started. Um, so starting again from the bottom, as I mentioned, let's talk about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, Brett, you just referenced that they got off to a, a pretty hot start this year. They, they started out 10-1 uh, and one before the turn of the calendar, um, and that included, you know, some wins that, you know, may not look that impressive um, now, but um, it seemed like they were impressive at the time. You know, they, they, they beat Princeton. They, they won. They, they beat 
they won at Pitt, um, at Mississippi State, and, and they beat Michigan in the months of November and De- December. So I think the thing with these guys is we had been constantly sounding the alarm bell about their lack of depth, which, I mean, they, they had their issues from, like, talent discrepancies relative to the rest of the conference, but I think it was really the lack of depth which did not allow them to kind of hold up as we moved through the conference season. Uh, but I, I think, you know, the, the outlook is good, you know, with Ben Johnson being kind of a local guy there. Uh, but, but I guess, did you see anything other than their lack of depth that, you know, w- was a huge problem to kind of the prolonged losing um, streak that they uh, went through as the conference season, you know, really heated up in January and February? No, I think, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like the depth, when we said that coming in, I mean, it's, it's hard for a new coach to, to really kind of get things up and running really quickly. And especially in today's, today's NCAA basketball landscape with the advent of the transfer portal and, and Patino took four or five, I think guys with him to uh, New Mexico. And I, that probably says more about his level of recruiting while he was at Minnesota than anything else. Um, even though, I mean, you know, Jamal Bashburn was, was at least a high recruit, but it's, you know, the, the, there's a lot, a lot going on there, but you know, Ben Johnson was, was one of those guys. He played at Minnesota. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he's local. Um, and he is, it was a, it was a hire that was well-respected around, around the, around the league, around the conference, around the country even. And for him to kind of bring in, I think they had one returning starter from last year. And that was, that was Eric Curry, who's had significant injury problems. I think that, you know, I, he did a really good job. Peyton Willis coming back to Minnesota, Jamison Battle, those were the two most notable transfers coming in, and they they played really well. You you can you could see the talented scoring, and Jamison Battle will have two years of eligibility left if he so chooses. Um, I think the one thing that I would have liked to see more, and obviously when you're recruiting from the transfer portal like that, you're kind of at the at the whim of whoever's actually available. Um, I think I would have liked to see them try and play Trayton Thompson more. Um, you know, they, in what, especially once they, once they, they, they won three games after the, after January 1st. Um, and I think once it became apparent after like the one in five conference start, I think I would have liked to see them at least try and play the young guys a little bit more, um, just to kind of get game experience. Cause they're, they're, they're going to have very little returning production next year. And it, again, it takes a while to build a, a college basketball team. Um, but you know, four of their five of their seven rotation players are seniors and I believe will not be coming back. So I'm I think I think he did a very good job, all things considered. I mean, winning 13 games is is hard to do, even if even if you've got some some lighter non-conference fare. But that's that's what they should have done with with a team like this. And I think you're not upset unless unless you really expected Minnesota to be a contender, in which case I don't I don't think anyone was actually thinking that. So I think that. You know, the depth, depth being an issue and size being an issue, especially in this conference, um, I, I I was impressed with what I saw, all things considered, from Minnesota. Yeah, so I, I think the, the the take on on them this season, you know, it, it, probably their their start to the season, you know, definitely um, exceeded I think everyone's expectations. Yeah, that were all be pretty low to begin with, but I think. You know, anyone who looks at the state of this program would say that, you know, the, the cupboard's pretty bare. Um, and so they, they probably have a multi-year rebuilding uh, project on their hands to to get them back to, uh, I guess, where most Minnesota fans probably want them, which is 
you know, contending for NCAA tournament um, spots. And I, I think, you know, in a year or two, you know, maybe that, that will be realistic for them. Um, so moving to the team that finished 13th in the conference, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for uh, the team that sat in 13th in the conference, you know, somewhat of a like odd season from a headline perspective, right? Like they began the season with, I think, you know, we kind of highlighted them as a team that, you know, if things shook right, like, you know, maybe they'd have a fringe chance at, at attorney bid. You know, they had a five-star recruit in Bryce McGowan's coming in who um, has since declared for the NBA draft. So, you know, that speaks to the season that he had for them. Um, like Fred Hoiberg, we're waiting, you know, for kind of him to do what he did at Iowa State, and it hasn't happened, but yet he oddly got rewarded with a very lucrative extension. Um, you know, in, in addition uh this the the on-court product just looks scattered unorganized and you know just looked like a lot of undisciplined kind of up and down play but then you kind of saw this nebraska team put it together their last three games of uh conference which included a win at ohio state um and a, a win at wisconsin to deny them an outright conference title um, but then they turned around and blew a huge lead to Northwestern in the, the Big Ten tournament to end their season. I mean, in a way, it's emblematic of just the chaotic season that was for the Cornhuskers. But um, I don't really know that anyone in Lincoln is feeling good about their situation right now, um, especially with their potential best player headed out the door. So I guess, Brett, maybe we start with like what – what did you like um, out of Nebraska, what you saw at points this year that, you know, could potentially be points of optimism for them to look forward to? Um, I think Derek Walker is a guy that really impressed me. I think he led the Big Ten in uh, two, at least two point field, or field goal percentage, uh, shot just under 69 percent from the field. Um, you, you saw a guy that used his size effectively, even even though he's just six, nine and was able to really kind of do do a lot of good things about against some of the preeminent big men in the in the conference. Um, I mean, the other two things I I mean, I think Bryce McGowan's will be a talented NBA player. I think that there's um, but you know, I his he was never gonna make this Nebraska team into a contender. And I think when they finally kind of gave Alonzo Verge the keys and let him do his ISO stuff, uh, that was when they were at their best. I mean, he's moving on, so I think that there's a limited thing you can take away. Um, they do have a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. Uh, they are bringing in uh, a Sam Grisell from North Dakota State. But I think we're finally sort of seeing Hoiberg try to at least make his imprint felt. I mean, they, they, they were top 20 in tempo. Uh, and so they when they were able to actually get out and run, and they, they saw success. So I think he's sort of trying to figure out how to mold his offensive strategy. But, I mean... There's not until he can actually kind of bring in and develop some of these guys. I don't know that there's going to be any sustained level of success and they're going to have to keep relying on transfers. Yeah. I mean, in a way like the, the conference is too tough for him to just plug and play guys without having, you know, and w without having sort of like experienced four year players that, you know, are, are part of the, the, the program there. Not, and not saying that that's all he did when he was at Iowa state. Cause you know, there was more to it that, than that, but um, it's in a similar, you know, vein to what we just talked about with Minnesota. I mean, you, you can't just have a rotating 
um, door of, of, of players coming in and out and expect to um, produce something sustainable. Uh, I, I guess, you know, in a way, I, I just want to talk about, you know, McGowan's because like it really was a huge deal when they landed him as a five-star recruit. Like we know he had the the personal connection to the program, but on the one hand, like, I don't know that it was necessarily realistic to expect um, like anything that even looked like a team that like, could scare like a legitimate power five team. But I mean, on the flip side, we did see, you know, some big 10 teams like Penn state, who we'll talk about in a second, like, you know, play controlled basketball and, you know, really hang with some of the tougher teams this year. I, I really thought Nebraska would do that. And, and they didn't, you know, and, and with like a kind of a once every five years type recruit, you know, in McGowan's like, you know, for, for, for a Nebraska like program with him just kind of heading out, you know, like I, I think they lost something there that could have, you know, really turned into better recruiting momentum had the season gone a little bit better. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good point. I think, and you know, I, th- I think there are a lot of I, some stuff I was seeing on Twitter with Nebraska fans is that, Oh, McGowan's is just stat chasing and trying to, uh, you know, build his draft stock. But I mean, if he wasn't going to do any of that stuff, who was who was going to take those shots or you know anything to kind of try and make the winning plays? And we saw we saw Verge really kind of come on towards the end of the season, and that was that was nice to see. But I just I I think that Hoiberg didn't quite get his rotations down for kind of quite some time. Um, and you know we 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 saw it in in a couple of their I, I believe their their wins kind of against you know Penn State and, and Ohio State, but there were or games that they were closer in where. You know, it, it took whether it was C.J. Wilcher playing more or Kobe Webster playing more instead of when Verge was playing poorly, leave, just leaving him out there to kind of fend for himself and try to shoot out of slumps. So I think and, you know, Hoiberg obviously has coaching pedigree. He'll, I think he'll he'll get there. But I, I do think that, yeah, it, McGow, McGowan's not helping this team be a little bit better. Uh, wouldn't if I'm a recruit trying to trying to like consider being on a good team, I don't, I don't quite know what I'm seeing there in Lincoln, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of work that needs to be done in Nebraska, but uh, it will likely be under the regime of Fred Hoiberg, given the extension that he just got. Shifting gears to the number 12 team in the conference, the Northwestern Wildcats. So um, it was a very Northwestern-like year this year, which I guess, don't ask me for a concrete definition of what that means but you know if you're familiar with northwestern basketball you kind of don't need a definition of that i you you know there was a sense of optimism i think around this program at the beginning of the year you know they started off eight and two uh, so kind of similar to minnesota Um, they they had a, a tough schedule in conference at the beginning of conference season but i think it's unfortunate looking back on this, this is the case, but the, the high point of their season, I think was going into East Lansing, you know, on that Saturday um, and, and beating Michigan state. And what was one of the weirder, uh, like last minute or minutes or so of a, of a big 10 game that um, yeah, we don't necessarily need to talk about that game in particular, but I, I think the the thing that I think was most disappointing to me about this Northwestern team is like, the the roster construction like made sense, right? Like, you know, yeah, we know they lost Miller Cop last year, but like 
you know, they had like guys like Chase Adige, Pete Nance, Boo Booey. They'd been in the system before. Uh, you had a sense that this was sort of a, not necessarily a veteran team, but like a team that had played together a lot. And, you know, that that would maybe translate into them, you know, winning more games for lack of a better phrase than, than they did. Um, and, and at the end of the day, they just didn't, they, they did kind of tease us with, you know, they were maybe on the fringes of the bubble for a little bit there, but ultimately they couldn't compete with the tournament caliber programs. And so I feel like this leaves us in like a place that we've often kind of been with, um, with, with Collins as their coach, which is they're, they're just not good enough. And a lot of these sort of decent recruits that they're getting, you know, they, they just, they're, they're not, they don't have enough guys that can make big time shots when they need to, or enough highly skilled defenders to hang on defense against some of the better offenses in the conference. So, you know, I, I mean, what, what do you think about Northwestern season this year um, and like how we should think about it? That's, that's an excellent question. And, and yeah, I, I think, you know, as, as kind of, they were they were what uh, nine and six at the, in the middle of January, coming off that win against Michigan State, and then lost four in a row. All the tournament teams, but you know you had an opportunity against Wisconsin, you had an opportunity against Michigan, you had an opportunity against Illinois, and like you said, it's just they're they're falling apart in crunch time. And I don't is that is that on the coach? Is it on the talent? Probably somewhere in the middle. Um, because you know, if if you're looking at it from a uh, from a from a rankings perspective, like the recruiting is as good as it's ever been for Northwestern. Um, you, you know, Julian Roper was a was a well-regarded recruit coming in this year, and I think he acquitted himself pretty well, especially coming on later in the season. And I think he's going to be really good. Uh, you know, Pete Nance is, I think, the highest-rated recruit in Northwestern history. Um, Adige had had some pedigree, and so did so did Bowie. And there, it's just it's kind of the same thing every year with them. I mean. They had there's a couple blowouts. They they lost by 20 at Purdue, but that's I don't think that uh, that's shocked anybody. And then going on the road and losing by 17 in Minnesota was pretty surprising. But besides that, all these games are within eight to ten points, and you know you have you have to start winning these games at some point. And it's been a problem for Northwestern in the last few years. And you know they 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 ran out there with a fairly solid eight man rotation, and and they're they're losing Pete Nance, and then Ryan Young is in the transfer portal, but I mean, there's you would think there's a, enough of a pedigree to get out of the basement of the Big Ten uh, with with this much talent there. Yeah, no, and and, and like frankly, I, I don't really know what it is, but when you look at like some of the measurables on their their season this year, like some of the you know like <laughs> some of these stats stand out to you as like not caliber of like a high major D1 program, right? Like, I mean, they were. Uh, um, like 118th in, in three point percentage, you know, uh, um, 204th in total rebounds. Uh, they were 283rd on like two point field goal percentage. Like, like these are just not like good enough um, stats at the end of the day relative to like the caliber of players that they have on their team. You know, like big time offenses, I know they're going up against tough defenses all the time, but they have to execute better than that, especially when your programs, you know, had this same coach there for a while and they have some sort of semblance of continuity. Um, so um, something seems to be missing in Evanston. Um, I don't know that there's a solution um, immediately, um, you know, whether it's sort of a, a diamond in the rough recruit or 
um, just a, a change in a style of play on the cusp there. But again, it was another disappointing year for them where they could not execute in crunch time and, and beat um, tournament caliber teams, uh, you know, and so they're sitting in a familiar place. As we move into this next echelon of teams, um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll start talking about some of the teams that, you know, weren't tourney caliber, but 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 hung a little bit better with, you know, the, the top of the con- conference. And so no better place to start really than the uh, 11th place Penn State Nittany Lions who, you know, they had they had some really good wins this year. Um you know, they, they sort of made a mini run in the in the Big Ten tournament at the end of the year. You know, they had, um, you know, a, a really interesting win against Indiana at the beginning of the year that kind of put the conference on notice. Um, and Micah Shrewsbury, I think you really can kind of see the foundation culturally on what they're going to be about. And it kind of starts on the defensive end for them. You know, I, I guess uh, I feel like Penn State, you know, even though um, – <clears throat> even though their like roster was sort of oddly constructed this year, um, I think they're in a position where uh, they can use this as, you know, momentum and recruiting and kind of, you know, turn this into, you know, make, make themselves even more competitive and potentially even turn a caliber next year. But, you know, we'll get to that on another day. Um, I think the question I have for you, Brett, is um, how many fans do you think we're going to see, uh, per game at the Bryce Gordon <laughs> Center uh, next year, or, or maybe a what percent increase in attendance do you think we'll see? Because um, that was the thing that stuck out to me most again, as far as this, this Nittany Lion team. Um, oh, I thought you were going to ask how many Penn State fans we were going to see at the Big Ten K this year, and that's also a, a good question. Um, I, I I do think there is is reason for Penn State fans to be excited about about the Micah Shrewsbury era, and I. I and it's not something that can be quantified, although maybe a little bit with kind of they were the 50th best defense in the in the country per per Ken Palm, and I think that comes with buying into the system. And it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard to get guys that have already played for two different coaches at Penn State uh, with the interim year after Pat Chambers was fired to buy into a, a new coach's system. And I think that was the most evident thing is that these guys played their asses off every every game. They weren't the most talented team. Um, but they had, they had, you know, they had some good players. Depth was also kind of an issue with them. Uh, once you kind of got past the, like basically the starting five, I mean, honestly, uh, if, if I believe every starter had played more than 60% of the, more than two thirds of the available minutes. Uh, and so obviously like, you know, you're going to have some issues with, with that in depth, but I mean, this is, this is a team that, you know, just, just competed hard. They uh, were very, very solid interior defensive wise. And, you know, if they had a little bit more depth and, and again, that's that's the portal issue talking again, losing Isaiah Brockington, Ohio State, um, you know, they, they put up a lot of a lot of fights. They had, like you said, the win, the win over Iowa, uh, a win over Indiana, um, Michigan State and hanging tough against teams like Illinois and Rutgers and, and Wisconsin um, is is at least a sign of it's encouraging. I, even though they were in the bottom four of the conference this year, I, I am higher on their potential outlook than that going forward. Yeah. And, and so I think uh, it's, it's really going to, you know, the, the, the biggest win I think for this program was just the, the output on defense. 
uh, that every kind of Big Ten team that went up against them, you know, knew that they were going to get, I think, the, the fight of their lives on defense. Um, and, you know, that travels, right? That travels, that can continue from, from year on year. Um, even if you cycle different players in and out of there, I think schematically um, that's something that Micah Shrewsbury, you know, I think can really tout. I don't know that it's something that you can, you know, like go out and recruit um, really well on, but I think what what was most noticeable about this Penn State team to me was that, like, if, if you can do that, you, you don't need great one-on-one players to even compete with the top echelon of the conference. You, you just need decent one-on-one players, you know, that can kind of score on their own, even if it's not at super high efficiency. And you're going to be in these games just based on the style of Big Ten play. So I, I think that's something to be optimistic about if you're a Penn State fan. Um, and, and we'll see if they can kind of, you know, again, piece together a roster with a little bit more depth than what they had you know, this year, um, and I think the outlook is 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 bright in in Happy Valley. Uh, now, moving to the team that finished in tenth of tenth tenth in the conference, so I'm um, sort of a, a different feel to the Maryland Terrapins. So they were they were dealt a, a raw hand this year, uh, just with Mark Turgeon stepping down pretty early in the year. So you know, their season sort of got off to a wacky start to begin with, and and they were. They were going to be, I think, a bubble team, you know, even with him there. We talked at length about sort of just the fact that this team had a lot of talent just with, with Fats, um, Fats Russell, Donta Scott, um, you know, and players of the the such. Um, Ayala as well. But, you know, Danny Manning came in and, I, I mean, frankly, once Turgeon, like, left their season, I, I just, I think the ceiling on their season, you know, was, was going to be pretty low. But, I think, you know, they, they came in and, you know, now they've hired Kellen, Kevin Willard. So I think as, as far as their, out, their forward-looking out, outlook, it's, it's going to be optimistic and, and focused on that. I think as far as this season and what we saw with the Maryland Terrapins, I think it comes down to just inconsistent play, right? Like they had the playmakers to beat you one-on-one. Um, that we just talked about, and their offense looked explosive at times. You know, and they had a really, really good win um, against Illinois uh, this year. You know, who ended up, you know, sharing the conference title, which I think was sort of emblematic of that. But um, they they just could not put it together consistently, and you didn't know, um, even on offense, you didn't know who was going to show up on which day. And um, despite the fact that they had talented position players on offense it didn't really translate to the defensive side so in a way maryland got you know what they deserved with just that structure but i I think to me with this program it just comes down to consistency totally um i think that's that's a really good way to put it um i think something i would have liked to see them do more and this is you know turgeon being there would have would have uh probably made this happen i would have liked to see them play faster they are 211th in the country in tempo, and they had a true like game changer at point guard in Fats Russell and and other guys in in you know in in um, Scott and Ayala that that can run the floor and really kind of make an impact in transition. So I would have liked to see them do that more, uh, especially against some of the bigger bigger teams in in the conference. Um, so I, yeah, I mean like like you said, once once Turgeon left, the whole outlook on their season changed, and I think. That was always going to happen. Um, I, I don't think Danny Manning is a particularly good coach, um, but hiring Kevin Willard is a, is a great step in the right direction. But I, I mean, this was just kind of a lost year for Maryland basketball. And there's 
it, it, I don't think there's a sign. It's a sign that this is going to continue. But it was it, it's a bummer for you know Russell and Ayala and and Scott if he doesn't come back to to go out like this. Yeah, and uh, so with Maryland, you know, it's not just a new coach, but it's as you mentioned, losing um, pretty experienced players as well. So again, we'll talk about how they're gonna kind of backfill those guys at a later date, but. Uh, I think it's it sucks because, you know, that Maryland fan base is passionate. And I think this had the opportunity for them to uh, really have a competitive year. And I think they were probably dealt the rawest hand from just a circumstance standpoint. As as much fun as it is to make fun of Mark Turgeon for not uh, being able to deliver when he needs to. It it's clear that they felt the loss of him as the season wore on. You you don't just recover from that um, in in Big Ten, you know, as as you hit the meat of Big Ten schedule without you know a really like a stalwart, um, you know, staff of assistants and stuff. And again, no slight to Danny Manning because he was dealt a rough hand too, uh, but they they just didn't have enough to keep it together. Moving on now to the ninth place team in the conference. It's it's now time to start talking about teams that made the tournament. So that's exciting. We're going to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, so Indiana Hoosiers finished 9-11 in conference play, but 21-14 and on the year. And were awarded with a spot in the first four in which they beat uh, Wyoming and, and then uh, proceeded to lose to St. Mary's in the round of 64. This kind of not not necessarily a run, but these outcomes in the tournament were preceded by them making a pretty impressive run in the Big Ten tournament uh, where they they beat Michigan. They beat Illinois, uh, which, in my opinion, got them into the field of 68 um, just because their their resume was pretty bubbly to begin with. this being Mike Woodson's first year, uh, yeah, I think, you know, checkmark number one was making the NCAA tournament, which will be huge for them with recruiting momentum. Um, they utilized Trace Jackson Davis to, you know, the level of efficiency that I think, you know, we all wanted to see. Um, he averaged 18 and eight, you know, played over 32 minutes a game, did it on almost 60% shooting from the field. Um, so kind of check there. Um, really got good play from Xavier Johnson, especially in the second half of the year. Um, as, as kind of a, a a third guy that, you know, could really hurt you along with Jackson and, and Race Thompson. Um, but I think other than that, you know, really not much from the perimeter on them. So there's still sort of holes in this roster. And I think, you know, they were exposed throughout the year. This Indiana team couldn't really punch with like the top of the conference, but they they, you know, they were clearly competent enough to get enough wins to get into the tournament. I, I think there's a lot to be happy about as far as this season um, in Indiana, even though it was a little bit of a roller coaster season, they really struggled there in the middle of conference, but did enough to get a tournament berth. Do, do you feel similarly? Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think I very much agree with your point that an, an 18 and 13 Indiana team probably does not make the NCAA tournament. So, so the win against Michigan and the win against Illinois really like cemented that. And I think that's, that's what we should be focused on those those last five games of the season um, where and even even six where they, they went on the road to Mackey and, and almost came away with a win. Um, but it's I, I feel like no, I feel like we had in terms of like how we thought each team was doing over the course of the season. No one had more of a weird roller coaster than Indiana. 
because you know you, you come in with the expectations you've got trace jackson davis you've got pretty highly regarded transfers in in miller cop and parker stewart and xavier johnson race thompson's been a stalwart uh there for for a while and um you know starting 10 and 2 um even though they blew a 22 point lead to wisconsin but Things kind of fell off the rails a little bit uh, as we kind of headed down the stretch of the season, losing five in a row, and then being able to right the ship was big. So I think, I mean, there there are time, there are things I would like to see Mike Woodson just improve in his in in, in his in game coaching. Uh, I think that you know they went away from Trace Jackson Davis a lot in kind of the second halves of close games, and I I don't know why, um, especially when they didn't really have great outside shooting. They, they shot 33% from, from the field or from three on the season. And that's kind of surprising when you have guys like Miller cop and, and Parker Stewart um, and, and guys that are known for being shooters. Um, so, but I think we saw down the stretch, he was able to adjust and really get established trace Jackson Davis and, and feed him the ball when they needed to. And it led to them winning more games. Um, but again, I think like with Penn state, the defensive buy-in from this team was was truly tremendous. I mean, they were top 25 defense in the country, and uh, especially inside the, the kind of combination of of, uh, of Jackson Davis and and Race Thompson inside really made lives life, life difficult for a lot of bigger teams. Um, and I think that that is again a good solid building block, uh, kind of establishing that that culture and and willingness to buy in on defense and. You know, I think I think the offense will get. He's a, he has an NBA coaching pedigree. He will be able to coach offense, and I think I think that is something to be excited about, regardless of you know even if they ended up in the first four this year. Yeah, so I, I think the summary on Indiana. I think yeah, a, a lot a lot to be excited about there. Uh, I think if you're an Indiana fan, and I, I think I could not agree more with you on the point on defense. I mean, I think uh, it, it, not just defense, but defensive consistency. I think was something they lacked on. From a lot from a lot of their previous coaches, you know, Archie Archie Miller, I think you know, came in highly regarded on that end of the court. So um, we'll see what Mike Woodson can do as far as getting four spacers and Trace Jackson Davis. Obviously, um, he declared for the draft uh, actually today, I believe. So again, we'll see how that plays out. But um, I, I think Indiana uh, if, with another kind of good tournament caliber team. I mean, they could be in a position to do some pretty damaging stuff in, in recruiting and the transfer portal. So we'll see how that plays out. The The final team that we'll discuss today will, uh, will be the eighth place Michigan Wolverines. So Michigan, in, in a way, actually, the arc of this Michigan team was a lot different than many of the teams we've talked about thus far. So Michigan came in seated. I'm sorry, ranked sixth nationally. So just based off of their Elite Eight appearance last year and um, the return of Hunter, Hunter Dickinson along with a, a, a top 10 recruiting class nationally, I think the thought was that they'd have plenty to reload and be a contender um, for the regular season title in the conference. That, and, and that, I think, showed pretty early on that uh, that wasn't going to be the case with this team. They, when, after their game against Illinois on January 14th, they were sitting at seven and seven overall and one and three in conference. So at that point, um, you know, again, you're, you're uh, from at least like the calendar perspective, you're looking at really only like a month and a half to two months left in your season and and you're 500, which isn't good enough to make the tournament. Um, And and they had a pretty daunting, I think, uh, 
as far as their schedule, you know, they had one of the toughest schedules of anyone in the country. So uh, daunting task ahead, and they were just good enough to get into the tournament. They uh, they proceeded to win. Uh, or, I'm sorry, they proceeded to go ten and seven in their next seventeen games after that, which uh, was enough to get them in. Not even just in in the first four, but into the field. Um, and then they sort of figured it out there, beating Tennessee, beat, um, I'm sorry, beating uh, Colorado State, beating Tennessee, making the Sweet 16, one of only two Big Ten teams to do that this year. Obviously, a lot of headlines with Jawan Howard this year with the uh, uh, with the uh, melee in Madison, which we talked about at length. Uh, but I think getting, you know, just kind of staying on the court, you know, this team sort of um, lived and died with Hunter Dickinson, um, who, you know, took an appropriate step up. I think in year two and, and, you know, really became the leader of this team. Um, and, you know, Eli Brooks consistency was helpful throughout the year. Uh, but I think while uh, I don't know how I would necessarily phrase this, cause I don't want to phrase it as a disappointing appointment, but a lot of the, I think highly touted recruiting talent, you know, did not live up to the expectations that people had for them coming in. And I think that had a lot to do with why, um, at least in the regular season, Michigan underachieved. Now, none of that necessarily matters when you look at their tournament success. I think the the feeling around the program is pretty positive, just given that. But I guess, what do we make of you know Michigan, um, you know, really not putting up the results that people wanted in the regular season, but then you know showing that you know they are still you know, one of the best programs in the conference as far as their um, NCAA tournament performance. I think, and and this is, I think this is, this makes Michigan the most probably the most difficult team to evaluate on on paper uh, out of the performance from this conference this season. Um, it all depends on how what you view as your bench your personal benchmark for a successful season, I think. I I think from I mean they were the preseason number five team in the country. And so from that, the entire body of their season, I would consider personally a disappointment. I think the talent they had the familiarity with the system, the 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 deep, you know, talent on the bench as it as it pertains to having having guys like Phil Martelli, Howard Isley, like there's a lot of and, and Joan Howard, like obviously, but there's there's a lot of basketball IQ on that bench. And it didn't sure, you can you can put a lot on like Caleb Houston not panning out immediately, uh Diabate kind of taking a like a bit to get going, Devontae Jones not quite living up to his his potential uh for the first two-thirds of the season but I mean I it 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 looked like there were a number of games where where they were out they were out coached and I think not I think I think there were a lot of games that I noticed personally where Hunter Dickinson was not getting the ball nearly as much as he should have I think the Wisconsin game is a notable example where he had I, he, I, he, you know, double digits in the first half easily. I think he probably he had a double double in the first half and then took three shots in the second half. And I think the failure to kind of adapt when things were not going well is what led to their downfall. And I think that's that's a coaching thing. And I think there's a lot of time for Juwan to improve on that. But I mean, you still had one of the dominant players in you know first team All Big Ten player um, in Hunter Dickinson, and when he could be bothered to play defense. He was pretty good at it. The problem was he was not often and it. So I, but I think, but again, you, then you come back into the end of the season and you, you, you make the sweet 16, like you're still 
a very relevant program, you're still having postseason success. So I think that helps kind of paint over a lot of the issues we saw, because at the end of the day, you're one of two Big Ten teams that made the Sweet 16. And that's an incredible accomplishment now that it's five tournaments in a row that they've made the Sweet 16. I just think like the last month of the season where they were trading winning and losing games and games they could have won is just makes it kind of confusing. Yeah, I, I agree with you as far as I think this team being kind of hard to evaluate. I think the the thing I think for everyone to keep in mind when we talk about at least the next sort of batch of teams here, I, there was one game separating fourth place from eighth place in the Big Ten this year. Um, so all those teams, you know, were, were kind of bunched together in the middle. Um, and, and I think, you know, Michigan, you know, had, if not the toughest conference schedule, you know, one of the toughest conference schedules of that group of five teams, despite everything that you talked about, about, um, yeah, maybe some inconsistency on on coaching and players not playing up to uh, their their talent level at points in the season, you know, had had one of these games flipped one way or another, they may have found themselves as like a top four seed in the in the conference. And so, um, you know, again, I think that's just something to keep in mind, a top four or five seed at least. So, uh, again, just something to keep in mind as we're sort of evaluating these teams in the middle. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think this is one of these things where at the end of the day, you know, college basketball, which is the way that the NCAA tournament is and um, the fact that like, anything can happen in one game you you get these um you get these outcomes sometimes where like you teams that don't have great seasons end up feeling really good um you know if they have a performance in march that kind of exceeds their expectations uh we'll see with this michigan program i think you know they they clearly there's pedigree there right you referenced the five straight sweet 16s which is something that no any team in the conference can match or, you know, has proven that they can match really over the last, not just the last decade, but probably the last like 20 years or so. Um, so we'll see what that does for them. And, and um, despite the fact that the recruiting talent did not translate to uh, maybe the expectations that people had, I think, you know, Howard's proven that he's you know going to recruit a different type of player than um, really what a lot of the other teams in the conference are, uh, you know, bringing in as far as recruits. So, but, but on the other hand, it has to it has to transition to consistent gameplay, you know, for it to be sustainable. And I think that'll be the kind of biggest thing to watch with this team next year. Um, all right. We'll take a pause here for now and talk about the top seven teams when we're with you next time. Um, thank you again for for tuning into us and look forward for part two of our season recap soon. <laughs>